Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, Matt and Ryan look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words! Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to Fill the space between a hard place and a rock is all we do but we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name is Ryan Placetti, and I am here to disentangle you from the Gordian knot of the Internet's bullshit. And I'm Matt Saint saying, and I still don't have a good witty response to, to that. Every week, I'm like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write and I'm going to figure something out. And I just never do. And but I think this is kind of like a it's kind of like a hallmark. So I think it's kind of a thing. And I've gotten responses back from uh, two friends of mine who listen to podcasts, and they both have complimented me on holding up and having a tagline. So I think I'm just I'm going to ride that way for a while. Well, I mean, maybe they're just telling you that what they want you to hear because you have at least one friend who's been encouraging you to develop one. Yeah, but like that guy's a dick. I, that guy's a dick. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no I, uh, I like the fact I don't want to be I don't want to be tethered to uh, a specific. Phrase you don't have to be tethered to a specific phrase. I change mine up. Yeah, but it's always got Gordian knot in there. It's always got the same equation. I just, you know, I, 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 I like to I like to get think on my feet, which did not work out today. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. It's the second episode of the day. So, you know, I'm a little I'm a little tired, maybe. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really takes it out of you sitting and talking out of my it does. You know what, folks, this is hard. I was about, I was about to say, fuck you, dude. This you, is, you know, th- it does. This, is, <laughs> this is hard work. This is hard work. So I, I think what I would encourage our listeners to do is if you can think of Matt's catchphrase, maybe we'll try some out uh, on a future episode. Uh, send in all your catchphrases for Matt. Whatever you think his tagline should be at the opening, we'll have him read them. And if he likes one, maybe it'll stick. I'm guessing based on the look on Matt's face that he will not like I hate them. This. I, no, I, we're not going to we're not going to do this. First of all, you don't tell me what to do on this podcast. Ryan. Like, you're like, oh, send it in and we'll have Matt do this. Bro, we don't make any money from this and you're not my boss. So how about, how about this? Send us send us your suggestions. No, don't send us in. Do not send to send us your suggestions <laughs> and if Matt likes them from a position of personal agency and freedom that he would like to share those back with other audience members as a way of saying hey thank you for listening and attempting to contribute your terrible ideas to our podcast this is the same thing as if you would be like hey I know Matt's a vegetarian but send us your best burger recipes and he can decide if he wants to use it meanwhile he's already made the decision that he does not want to eat it so I feel like you're kind of disrespecting my own Agent, you're, you're, you're trying to take it away is what you're doing. OK, so what what is your what is your moral objection to? I don't have a moral objection. I just have a personal one. I'll tell you what, Matt. I think we've beaten this dead cow. enough. <laughs> oh, how about that could be your catchphrase? You could say we've beaten this dead I'm, cow enough. And I'm Matt Saintsing. I'm Matt Saintsing and I am beating the dead cow enough. <laughs> that felt gross. That felt gross coming out of my mouth, which is not the not the first time that's happened. <laughs> So I wanted to start off with a um, it's a Photoshop of a meme that purports to be a quote of a tweet by Elon Musk. That's kind of like what they're trying to be. But it it is not a tweet and it's not even his Twitter handle. Yeah, it's got it's got Elon Musk blue check mark at passion investing. And then underneath it, it says drug dealers know more about running a business than 95 percent of college professors. And Mm. this is superimposed over a picture of Elon Musk and his wife. Is that his wife? Okay, I wasn't sure if she was like a extra on Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) 
Her hair kind of looks uh, kind of wacky. Ah, uh, well, we're not gonna we're not gonna comment on somebody's somebody's appearances. I, I I don't think for the sake of not offending any techno goths out there. Yeah, for the fifty people out there who are listening to this podcast, we don't want to offend. If them. any of our if any of our hardcore listeners happen to be techno goths married to a billionaire with his own space program, and you're offended, feel free to write us uh, write in, and Matt's new catchphrase will be. And I'm Matt Saint Singh, and I'm sorry for what Ryan said. I you you don't do a good me. You don't do a good impression of me. So how about did do I need to make it more Christian Slatery? Do I need to up my Christian Slater quotient by like ten percent to sound cooler? Is do I sound like Christian you Slater? You sound cool. Awesome. You sound cool. Wow, that makes me happy. That makes me happy. Right. Thanks, man. You know what? I take it back. I'll do a catchphrase since you've complimented me. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, but th- this is an interesting claim. Drug dealers know more about running a business than 95% of college professors. It is oddly specific. Like, they crunch the numbers on this. Uh, in terms of the veracity of it, obviously, they're not sharing Elon Musk's Twitter handle. Elon Musk, like, isn't follow me at, at Passion Investing. In fact, that Twitter handle no longer exists. It was probably scrubbed from the system for spamming. But... Elon Musk also never said this. So this isn't even a quote that I was able to verify belonging to Elon Musk. I did find a guy named Joe Hart, who is at the underscore real Joe Hart, uh, who runs a website called productsforprofit.com. <laughs> OK, that's funny. Really on the nose there. <laughs> who did. Uh, he's got 41,000 followers and he did tweet this. So it's. An, oh, it's, so he someone stole his content from this guy. So either somebody stole his content or he's putting it out under false pretenses under multiple Twitter handles, which is also a possibility in the scam for profit industry. That is the online business inspiration community. I, I, it's, it's worth noting that intentional a- misattribution of quotes or writings is very common in history and on the Internet. So it is a it is a tried and true thing that goes all the way back to ancient times, people would take up the identity of a famous writer or philosopher or theologian, and they would write under their name in order to lend credence to themselves, which is what is happening here. So as far as the claim, it is actually a worthy claim to examine, I think. What are what are your initial thoughts, Matt? Honestly, I kind of well. The 95% number, I don't know how they verified that. But the spirit of the statement, I think I kind of agree with here. I definitely think drug dealers know more about running a business than your average college professor. I am not saying that to offend any college professors like Kevin, who listens to this podcast, my college advisor, actually. But I I just think um, the drug dealers I've had have been really on the ball. Then they run a tight ship. I think the loophole in this claim here is it's 95% of college professors. Most college professors don't teach business. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. There's no reasonable expectation that a college professor should know how to run a business. Well, even even if you're a business professor, just because you can teach it, I don't know if that translates to actually being able to grow a successful business. I think talking about the academic theories about it does not automatically translate to success because why wouldn't they all have successful businesses if they were, you know, that's just what I, that's kind of what well, I, I mean. There's, a, there's that saying those who can't do teach, but I think, oof, oof. I think counter argument, I think teaching theory is important. And then, well, of course, the- yeah. theory and application are two different things. So just because somebody exactly. is yeah. just because somebody is teaching theory doesn't necessarily mean that they are capable of applying the theory. It's one step, learn theory, two step, apply theory. Yeah, I think just because you're a physicist doesn't mean you could be an astronaut automatically. Right. right? Exactly. I think one thing here that I kind of want to draw a little bit of a parallel here is that I know the times I've been in college and graduate school, professors 
we're expected to give career advice, right, to recent graduates or people who are about to graduate. And, you know, I had my college, excuse me, my uh, graduate school advisor, he told me, he's like, what the hell do I know about finding a job in the field of political science? He's never worked in the field other than essentially being a being a student of it, right? He does do some sort of contracting to the CIA and stuff like that on the side. Um, it's totally on the up and up. Oh, uh, do, you like, think, uh, do you think maybe he was saying that to uh, throw you off of his deep cover? He was trying. No, he was saying that so I, to get me out of the fucking office so I can ask. I was, I was like, can you write a letter of recommendation for me for something? And he's like, man, I honestly no. He wasn't trying to reject me. He was a, he was a re- real good guy. But I yeah, I think that I think there's a little bit of a parallel there that they're expected to give advice that they may not be experts in just yeah. because they have a Ph.D. at the end of their name. Let's look at the claim that drug dealers know a lot about running a business. I would say, yeah, depending on where you're at in the in the drug dealing hierarchy, certainly the cartels know how to run a business and, and it is a yep. brutal, in some cases, efficient business in terms of uh, how they get things done. Yeah. What sort of business concepts are you dealing with? Dealing with you have HR issues, right? In the cartel? Oh, yeah. Not as we understand. You're, you're it thinking you're thinking HR. of HR as HR complaints. No, I'm not. I'm thinking of hiring and firing. Oh, so yeah. They do that by the barrel of a gun. That's HR. Yeah. So right? they, they have ha- powered rifle. That's what it stands for. You got to hire. Yeah, you have to fire. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading some accounts of a, of a heroin dealer, and he said that he had to set aside. He would generally set aside twenty thousand dollars for each of his soldiers on the, the that were out there on the street in order to pay for their bail. Should they get arrested? Interesting. OK, well, th- that's definitely that alludes to some sort of administrative apparatus that they have, which is actually kind of scary because uh, I think when you have cartels running a business, the fact that they have accountants makes them way more scarier because they actually have longevity. They're not just criminals. They have an enterprise. Part of the reason why organized crime is so successful is because they do actually have fairly good employee retention programs. One, they'll kill you if you leave. Two, yeah. If you go to jail, they will do their best to take care of you while you are in prison and their and your family. Yeah. Keep you quiet. Yeah. Yeah. The the goal there, you have to keep people quiet because that that gets into the other issue with drug dealing, which is the legality. Most people who interact with drug dealers are not interacting with the cartel. They're interacting with several steps down that chain. Right. Right. So I guess the, the, the question of this claim really is how well are just the people on the street or the people who are just slinging whatever um, how good are they at running a business? I would say they're probably pretty good. They probably know what they're doing. I think whoever's running it at the at the neighborhood level is having to consider things like market opportunity. So, for example, can I go here? What's the police presence? Is there competition there? And competition's more than just like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to have to worry about splitting the profits. I, like, I don't want to worry about getting shot. Maybe I watch too many episodes of The Wire great show. It is a very good show. I know that not all drug dealers are violent and not all drug deals involve violence. So I just want to throw that out there. I think when you talk about the neighborhood and, and with the, the safety of it, I think one thing that has kind of made drug dealing a lot safer is the invention of cell phones, right? So before in the 80s and early 90s, if you wanted heroin or whatever, any kind of hard substance, you had to go to, quote, the bad part of the neighborhood. Now they can come to you, right? You send them a text. I was a criminology minor in college. There is research to support this, that the invention of cell phones makes drug dealing a little safer oh. in, in that. And so it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the cell phone is distinct from pre, uh, like previous technology. So I think in the 90s, the, assumpt- the, pager. The, the assumption was, yeah, if you had a pager that if you had a pager, you're either a doctor or a drug dealer. Either way, you're giving people <laughs> drugs. Yeah, yeah <laughs> It's basically yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Let's go ahead and render a final verdict on this topic. I'm going to say that this meme is I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think. Oh, I think that there are a lot of 
entrepreneurial topics and experiences that you can encounter in a drug in a drug dealing organization with regards to, you know, calculating your margins and stuff. But I think it's all intuitive. I, I don't necessarily think it's something that you could summarize into, say, a business advice book. And let me let me let me clarify. I don't think it's something that you could distill into practical business advice without also taking business classes so that you can form parallels between the experience you get dealing drugs and running that sort of organization and the language of business as a as a topic of academic inquiry. I, I, I definitely disagree with you here, I, I, but I, I have a question. If the claim was drug dealers know more about running a business than the average college professor, how would you feel about that? Absolutely. So it's really the, it's, it's the 95 percent that you have a problem with. I mean, realistically, just talking about professors in general, most people in academia, especially when you talk about like the social sciences, haven't left academia. Like most most of them haven't run a business, a successful business, more or less run a business, more or less negotiated a fair working wage. Associate professors are wildly exploited in our university system. I think a person running a drug ring on the street knows more than a business professor. I, 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 I really do, because they have they, I think they have. The, you cannot um, exchange the classroom for real world experience. Now, here's the thing. I think if you have if you're a professor that is also an administrator, if you're running a university, you're essentially running a business. Right. And I would definitely trust the person running university more than I would trust uh, someone who is. You know, maybe providing a good that is illegal. Treating drug dealing as a business as opposed to a criminal organization. You run afoul of the fact that businesses like actual businesses interact with other businesses outside of their niche market. So call that B2B business to business. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's a lot of there is a lot of business to business interaction, whereas with drug dealing organizations, everything is vertically integrated for the most part, where you have the producer is the cartel, the transportation is the cartel and the distribution is cartel or people working for the cartel. It's a little different when you're talking about legal marijuana, because you can you can go to California, buy it, come to North Dakota. And there's no cartel that's getting into the legalization issue and, and drugs like marijuana as pharmaceuticals. It's a completely it's a completely different mindset and a completely different understanding. I don't think that you could, for example, I think that you could go from being, say, the CEO of a let's say a, a tech company. You go from being a CEO of a tech company to being a CEO of a car company. And the, the lessons you learned at the tech company will translate to the car company. I don't think the same thing is true. If you pulled somebody from a leadership position in a drug cartel and put them into yeah. a legitimate business, I do not think that they would fare well. No, they would. They'd be like, you know what? You're fired. I'm killing you and your family. That wouldn't do, that wouldn't do well at, at General Motors. It's I like that like. time that America elected a scam artist to be president. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. He lost money in the casino business. That's all you need to know about his business acumen. Better, I think he found a better racket. He's he's cleaning up on. Yeah, he's cleaning, yeah right. Literally, people are just giving him money, no strings attached now, with, yeah. without without an yeah. expectation of return. So speaking of devils and, and evil things here, I saw something on the Internet this week that kind of piqued my interest. It supposedly is a letter written by a nun uh, from more than 300 years ago who is said to be possessed by the devil. Uh, what was she writing about? Was it like a, a flapjack recipe? What's going on? This flapjack recipe. No. Uh, so Sister Maria Crocifissa della. <laughs> I cannot. I'm a crocodile sister. I'm sorry, man. I just I'm not. A I'm sorry. It's, you know, so the Sister Maria, we'll call her that. All sister right. Maria. I'll tell you what, why, why don't you give me a crack at the name? Where is it written down? I got it. I got it. I'll send it in the chat. Sister Maria Crocifissa della Concessione. I think it's maybe Concessione. 
Conches is like the C. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, you did way better than I did, so we'll go with Maria that. I'm gonna call her Sister Maria. Della Concessione. Yeah, nice. That, that sounded a little like Telemundo for a little bit there for a second, but it's it's a my la- Latin. My language, last name's so. Placetti. I'm allowed to do it. Oh shit, that's right. Yeah, you got a last name with a vowel, so you're gonna you're good to go. That's why you can pronounce it. Yeah. So Sister Maria, she lived in a convent in Sicily, starting around the age of 15. She uh, supposedly wrote this letter in 1676 uh, while she was possessed by the devil. The letter features strange writing, mostly symbols, almost looks like the Zodiac Killer. Like, Wow, I'm, I'm looking at the image right now. That that does look like a letter from the fucking devil. She is said to awoke to find the letter. She had ink on her face and she said she kind of blacked out and wrote this letter. So that is like, that's like the claim. But I think we should get into a little bit about the background of Sister Maria and then we'll decide on whether she was legit possessed by the devil or what exactly had happened. I, I will tell you, I do not believe that the devil exists. So I'm pretty sure I know where I fall on that part of the claim. And you lived in Georgia and you didn't see him. I think that's I didn't yeah, I didn't see him at closed. all. <laughs> I did get into a really serious fiddle competition while I was down there and the dude was super intense, but I won. So no big deal. He gave me a golden fiddle. Yeah, he gave me a golden fiddle and fuck Charlie Daniels. <laughs> Ooh, I interviewed him. I interviewed him. Once. I know. Yeah, I already said, I already said that. On, maybe I don't know if that aired, but yeah, anyway. And that's actually um, I, I believe that's in episode two. Did 9-11 ruin country music? Oh, nice. It totally did. But the bizarre characters of the letter uh, were deciphered using software on the dark web. The dark web is where Satanists congregate in order to share cryptological secrets with one another. So in 2017, researchers at the Lodum Science Center in Italy, they were able to interpret about 70% of the letter based on software they found on the dark net. It's a software that was supposedly come from the U.S. intelligence community. I have my doubts, but I have no doubts that there are actually code breaking software on the dark net. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally absolutely. Absolutely. So they, they they translated about 70% of the letter and they found out it is nothing but pure fucking evil. Here are oh. some of the things that the letter is purported to have. Can we put evil in quotes for the moment? Then maybe we'll take the quotes away later if we determine that like it is actually evil because what people might have thought it was evil in the Middle Ages, I might not necessarily agree with as a modern and worldly person. Are you saying that you don't share the morality from the 17th century? How dare you? I'm just saying that although our nation was founded on it, maybe we, it's time to move on. Our nation was founded on what? Like religious ideas from the uh, from the 17th century. Well, maybe I, I mean, that, that, that's a whole other podcast. All, all, I, all I have to say is they they hung a lot of witches up in Salem. So the decoded letter, it's about 14 lines. It claimed that the concept of the Trinity and the existence of God were a joke and nothing else. Lucifer mocked humans for believing in the idea of God in this letter. Yeah, this sounds like modern Satanists, which are really just atheists who have uh, who've taken on the trappings of satanic worship to tweak the nose of Christian conservatives and to make a rhetorical point about freedom from religion. They're really civil libertarians and it's about freedom of speech and what is allowed in the public square. And so if you have a Christian Ten Commandments in like a courthouse in Alabama, the Satan's Church will absolutely try to put a Satanist monument next to it. It's kind of like as a firewall. Like They almost have like an ACLU almost uh, uh, part of them. There's a huge vein of public displays of fetish sexual activity. Oh, is there really? I didn't know that. Uh, well, they, um, they did a posthumous gay conversion ceremony over the grave <laughs> of Fred Phelps' mom. Posthumous. Oh, that's that's not cool. They had lesbians making out over the grave of Fred Phelps' mom in order to turn her gay. Oh in the my afterlife. god, lesbians making out! Where is that? Where can I find that disgusting? <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't know where it is, so I can avoid that website. 
they're dicks. They're dicks, but yeah, they're they're dicks who are right. They have a rightful place in society, I would say. Yes. Um, so yeah, um, the, the letter it says that the only reality was that Lucifer was supreme to everything, which I'm not sure if you did, if you say God doesn't exist, I'm not sure how you could say the devil exists, but that's just me. But sounds like the devil might be egotistical. Right? Okay. <laughs> There's little information about what became of Sister Maria after the incident, right? No one really knows what happened to her. Her later life was not documented in historical events at all, but the incident lived forever and it's kind of like this ever green mystery. Well, I mean, I can give you an idea of what, what became of her. I would guess that she was not necessarily received well. I'm sure she wasn't. The, yeah. the good news is they didn't translate this till 2017, so the actual contents yeah. of the le letter, although spooky, weren't necessarily going to get her burned at the stake, which they did do in Europe. For sure. Um, so the, the letter also claims that humans invented God and Jesus, and he, they described them as dead weights. The letter also criticizes God and says, God thinks he can free mortals. The system works for no one. Perhaps now, Styx is certain. Styx is the river in Greek mythology that separates the underworld from the land of the living. But it, it's also when you drink from the water Styx, you also lose your memory. For sure. So scholars knew that Sister Maria was very proficient in Greek. Okay. Italian. Latin. She knew a lot about different languages. It is not out of the possibility that she just was able to come up with like this new language based on the information that she knew about other languages, right? So it could just be her. It couldn't maybe the devil used her her language abilities to kind of write this. But I th I think there's nothing to say that I look. I don't think it's the real devil. I'm going to go ahead and say that right. You, now. you don't I'm, think I'm, it, I'm you, don't, you don't think the you don't think the devil reached into the mind of a of a, of a nun in Italy and forced her hand to, to write a, a damning Yelp review of Jesus and God. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like uh, communion tasted like shit, right? Something you'd leave on the Yelp review. <laughs> no, um, it, it's unclear if she deliberately wrote the letter as a hoax or if she was legit possessed, right? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wade into the territory of the Catholic Church believing in possessions, but uh, let's just say that I have my doubts. She could have been losing her mind too. Actually, scholars think that um, she actually had schizophrenia or some undiagnosed mental uh, illness. Actually, one of the scholars at this university said that she might have had bipolar disorder. I have bipolar disorder, and let me just say, I have never I, I've never written a letter from the I've, this. I've never done anything like this. Not to say that it couldn't happen, but there might be mental illness at play here. Hang in there, buddy. Maybe the devil will choose you next. Yeah, maybe I'm just not trying hard enough. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, it, it could know. be it could be a mental health issue. And she certainly has the knowledge and the and the presumably the time. It's not like she's got to binge watch Discovery Plus shows. <laughs> Or Disney Plus. Or Disney right? Plus. Yeah. The director of the Ludlum Science Center, this is what he said. He said, quote, I personally believe that the nun had a good command of languages, which allowed her to invent the code and may have suffered from a condition like schizophrenia, which made her imagine dialogues with the devil. That is what the official scholar stance is. OK, I think that's a perfectly acceptable stance. I don't think that she is possessed by the devil. OK, one thing you might do if you're possessed by the devil is eat a runny yolk or maybe some ass. <laughs> I don't think you have to be possessed by the devil to do either of those. That's not a, that's not a good transition. <laughs> so I actually wanted to move on to an unpopular opinion. Uh, this is it's from Reddit. This, from this Reddit. is an unpopular opinion from Reddit. People who don't eat runny yolk because of salmonella, but eat ass are hypocrites. Well, I would say, um, does is salmonella known to grow in ass? 
That is a fantastic question that I could have easily researched. Um, yes and no. This is why I'm better at research. This I, is why I, you're I better at research. Questions. Like a salmonella buried in someone's ass and I'm about uh, to Salmonella is one of those things that's kind of around. If you fuck someone with a cookie butter dildo, then they will have salmonella because <laughs> you have raw cookie. Salmonella is in, in cookie dough. So <laughs> yeah, well, salmonella is something. Uh, salmonella is a bacteria that you can find in agricultural environments and even in your own home, possibly in your food, which is in your not, ass. Yeah, possibly in your ass. <laughs> uh, so it stands to reason that if you can consume salmonella and it can uh, make you sick by thriving inside of you, then it stands to reason that it could also appear in your ass. I would say that if you eat salmonella, I'm not sure how your human body works breaking it down, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's residue salmonella around the ring, right where people would put their mouth on, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's getting gross so, real quick. So, but no, uh, uh, runny yolks. Some people are grossed out by that. What's your stance on, on eggs? Uh, I actually, I, I think eggs taste best when they're slightly undercooked. So I, I not only eat runny yolks, but I'll, I'll even have a little runny egg white in there too. Uh, I, eat my, oh. I eat my eggs sunny side up and I, I, I like them cooked lightly. Uh, you can you can leave a little goo behind for me. I don't mind. <laughs> Lap it up like the little goo goblin you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think to really examine this question, we need to we need to make a chart. OK, you have one circle. Is people who don't eat runny yolks because of salmonella. And I think that's probably a small circle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then the other circle is people who eat ass, which is a much larger circle. So you have a, a much larger circle of people who eat ass, I think, thanks to thanks to changing in sexual mores over the course of uh, the rise of the millennial population. But yeah, what's up with eating ass being like a trendy thing now? When I was in the army, there was a corporal who told who like were like, hey, guys, are you guys eating ass? And every single one of us were like, absolutely fucking not. And he's like, trust me, man, try to eat that ass later. And we we're like, uh, this is kind of his name was Pike. He's in the he's in the same battalion. We were in the same company. We were. In. Oh, yeah. Corporal Pike told us to eat ass. This was like in 2003 or four or five. So he was ahead of his time. Corporal Pike sounds like a generous lover. Yeah, well, he's definitely I don't I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Look, man, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you're there. It's there. You do what you do, but yeah, some, you just need to cook up some eggs real quick. <laughs> and then you eat your eggs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what we're looking at here is the intersection of people who do not eat runny yolks because of salmonella and also people who eat ass. It's It's got to be a, such a narrow, narrow thing, because that, that group of people who don't eat runny yolks because of salmonella has got to be small. I would say that it's only a hypocrite if salmonella is found in ass, because if the if the thing is they don't want to eat salmonella, if there's no salmonella in ass, then it's, they're not a hypocrite because they're not trying to avoid it. So I think this question or this uh, this unpopular opinion user, I, I, I think he thinks that eating ass is gross I based on the construction of this question. Yeah, this I, th I think he's conflating salmonella with germs in general. The ass definitely has germs in it, but I wouldn't imagine that as every other part of her. I, I wouldn't yeah. imagine that somebody would have salmonella in their butthole unless they also had salmonella in their stomach. And I know that when I have salmonella and I'm vomiting wildly, I'm not thinking, hey, when I get done diarrheaing for my food poisoning, would you like to eat my ass? You know, oh, it's just not Jesus, dude. I just threw up in my brain. That's <laughs> oh, fucking gross. I know, but what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that in order for the salmonella to actually be there in your hindquarters, it actually it, it, it would have to pass through some stuff. You know what I mean? I think your body might break it down or try to kill it. Right. right. It's, a, it's a disease. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a pathogen. It's a pathogen. I think that if you're sick with salmonella poisoning, 
you're not getting sexy times. So it's it's kind of a non-issue. Yeah, nor that you want. Really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah. And yeah, there's nothing sexy about, about salmonella. Sorry to all the salmonella Americans out there. <laughs> so I think I think, yes, when you're eating uh, when you're eating egg yolks, there is a possibility of, uh, of contracting salmonella. But I, I think the risk is much lower when it comes to eating ass. Now, there's also a, a, a flip side to that eating ass coin. OK, what if that was a good way to transmit healthy like gut flora into another person? Like, couldn't you? I would say, why don't you just eat yogurt? Just have some kombucha. You don't need to get you don't need to go someone ass to mouth resuscitation to spread like good, good gut bacteria stuff. I would say I'm just I'm just saying there might be some health benefits to eating ass. Yeah. OK, well, yeah, but no one eats ass for the health benefits. Right. Someone's like, oh, you know, I, I have a pie on the weekend. So I, I eat, you know, healthy stuff during the week so I can eat pie on the weekends. Right. Eating ass is there. It is a guilty pleasure. I would say. I, I, and I, I think for me, the uh, the idea of hypocrisy in order for somebody to be a hypocrite, want to see some sort of moral stance like people who aren't eating runny, uh, runny yolks because of salmonella aren't doing it for moral reasons. There's no there's no hypocrisy to it. There, there might be inconsistency, but not all inconsistencies are hypocrisies. Yeah, I think for me, it really just comes down to the presence of salmonella. That, that, that That's what it is for me. OK, I'm going to go ahead and say no. People who eat ass but don't eat runny yolks because of salmonella are not hypocrites. They're not necessarily hypocrites. Yeah, but they could yeah. be this guy. Maybe in other areas of their life. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to limit anyone in their hypocrisy abilities. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe it's someone who doesn't return the favor. So <laughs> that's a hypocrite. <laughs> I feel like the next time you come over, you're like, hey, you want some eggs? I'm like, where is this going? Where are you? Let's, let's fast forward to the main show. Let's uh, let's get a bucket of chicken, crack open some beers and see what happens. Do, do you think you'd be upset if somebody ate your ass on the next morning? They were like, no, keep cooking my eggs. <laughs> Oh, man. Now that we've alienated probably 70 percent of our uh, of our listeners because they're all family and friends who are like, I don't want to. If you're still listening, then God bless you. I would not. I would not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but um, I think we closed out the egg ass discussion. But I have something else that is an interesting thought. And I want to share with you before you share with me, Matt, is it sure? sure. Is it going to be sexy and gross or is it going to be something a little bit less titillating? Because I got to tell you, I, I need a I need a cold, soapy shower after that last topic. So please just let's 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 keep it tame. Um, okay. Well, I wish I knew that before I picked this topic. To be oh. honest. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, well, what's the, I was trying to make it. I was trying to make a joke. I was no, no, that's that's fine. I'm keeping that joke in. I liked it. I'll keep this in, too, so people understand our process. <laughs> no. Um, so I saw a tweet that was from July 20th of 2021. Uh, the tweet is by Swole Genius. But their at is it's teensy. So talk about a hypocrite here. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the tweet says. My girlfriend is still in denial about the fact that no one knows how eels fuck. Someone must know feeling for her. So uh, that is it a mystery. I, I have no idea how eels fuck, but I mean, I, I've seen pictures of worms fucking. I know snakes fuck like you haven't seen pictures of worms fucking Matt. Um, he gave I've me a face. Yeah, okay. out. He gave me a face. It's like it's it's kind of yeah because worms I just uh, I have seen snakes uh, uh, mate before because I'm from Florida worms <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm not talking about the reptiles you're, you're, you're at your coke dealer's house and the snakes oh, are just yeah, going right. at it in the corner <laughs> god oh god yeah um there is much to be learned from how little we know about eels and their reproduction okay 
So this is the aspiring biologists out there. This is a research gap you should be looking into. You're saying so. You're what you're saying is that there is there there's some there's some proof inside of this pudding. Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So this is this is the deal. After more than a century of speculation, researchers have finally proved that American and European eels really do migrate to the Bermuda Triangle to reproduce. Do you think all those ships are just getting lost in an orgy? Uh, eel orgy? I feel like, what, what, what a way to go. Oh my god, there's eels and they're really trying to, they're really close to, they're really trying to get in. I don't know if anybody's actually talked about what a group of eels is called, like is it, if, if there's a specified term, but I think... A pod? A pod? I, I, I think we should just... A school of eels? I think we should call it an orgy of eels. Yeah, I think, okay. Wow, uh, this is hilarious. A group of eels is called a bed. A bed? <laughs> well, where, where better to put your orgy? <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, they also call them a fry of eels or a swarm of eels. Ah, sounds fuck that shit. Fucking, sounds fucking terrible. I like, I, I like bed no. and I like orgy. We'll get rid of that other bullshit. So eel larvae has been observed in the Sargasso Sea, which is another way to say the Bermuda Triangle, since 1904, which suggests that the species reproduced in this area, but no adult eels had ever been found in this part of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Until, until 2015. A, uh, a team of Canadian scientists, they they, they were able to observe the migratory patterns of um, American and European eels, which is the species that this is talking about. Yeah. We have seen moray eels mate uh, in captivity, right? That's hot. Um, so, but th- yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> that's a moray. <laughs> when your eel gets surprised and you fuck like a pie, that's a moray. I don't know. We'll, cu- we'll definitely cut that out. Wait, I got one. I got one. I got one. When they're long, black and slick and they're slipping the dick, that's a moray. That's much better. Yeah, that's hilarious. I like that. I like that. <laughs> no, so uh, this team of scientists, they satellite tracked these 28 eels uh, and they found that these fish reached the northern barrier of the Sargasso Sea, the presumed reproduction site for a species. It's a 2400 kilometer journey that they make. It's actually kind of fascinating. However, I'm pretty sure that's the plot of the John Cusack film, A Sure Thing. I've never seen it. Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's it. The Sure Thing. And it's a story about a young college student who gets told about this woman who definitely wants to have sex with him on the West Coast. And he undertakes a cross-country road trip with, I, I, I forget who it was. There's a female. This, this has got to be from the 1980s. Oh, yeah, it's from the, it's Sounds, from, well, yeah. this is not something that John Cusack could pull off in his 50s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he ends up carpooling with a young woman who's also traveling across country. And then he gets there and realizes that she was the one all along. Oh, well, spoiler alert. Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, sweet story about a guy who falls in love while trying to get his dick wet. Mm, we've all been there. Um, speaking about getting wet. So these slipper, <laughs> these slippery eels, right? Um, these sophisticated satellite devices. Can we call them slippery they, fuckers they, they, just for. <laughs> absolutely. A group of eels is a slippery. Fucker, is what, yeah, a group of slippery is. fuckers um, is called an orgy. <laughs> I mean, they don't actually, so eels don't actually, like, have sex like moray eels do, right? They, 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 they spawn eggs, right? So they, they release eggs, and then male um, eels go and f- fertilize Like crop it. dusting. But, yeah, exactly. What I think is funny, as I was researching this, this is a funny fact. Aristotle thought eels came from earthworms. Oh. So back to the worm thing. That's what Aristotle well, thought. We, so it turns out he's fucking not the first thing Aristotle was wrong about. I'll say that Aristotle was kind of a prick. Yeah. So the question I had is certainly we have had American and European eels in captivity and we've never seen them reproduce. Right. OK. But because of the complex life cycle of the eel, breeding stock in captivity is something that is not possible yet. Uh, eels spend months traveling to spawning grounds uh, in the Bermuda Triangle. So they can breed in the sea. So far, artificial ways of breeding eels for commercial farming purposes 
has not been successful, which kind of blew my mind. So we know that there are we know that there are eel larvae in the Sargasso Sea. We now know that eels travel to this part. We have not observed eels spawning or eels fertilizing these eggs. And I think that's just pretty fascinating. So there is some truth to this tweet. So right now, but we do have an operating assumption. Like we know there's jizz inside of these eels. We know there's eggs inside of these eels. And then the jizz and the eggs get together. They make it a baby. That is what we that is what we induce. But we have never actually observed that. Well, we haven't observed them doing the act, but we have. Yes. But we have observed all the components and we know generally how those things fit together in nature. I still think that because biologists haven't physically observed it, I, I think that literally has not been confirmed. I I, I, I think we can just it, it's you're, you're deducing it based on what we know about these things. And you're probably right. But I think that the, the fact that this was a mystery for more than a century is kind of hilarious, right? That they <laughs> couldn't figure it out. But I think eels also, too. How cool is that? They we're, we're talking about they're in freshwater in the United States and Europe. Uh-huh. They travel twenty four hundred kilometers to saltwater. I think that is that's just it's a it is fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. No, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely wiser and more worldly for having uh, for having learned this. Absolutely. Also, there has not been any observed egg laying in the wild of eels. So I think that's important. We have not observed egg laying. Well, they're hiding their eggs like Easter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cute little ears on these uh, these eels, you know, R- real quick. I do have a question about this. When when I say the Easter Bunny, can you describe what you see in your mind's eye? What what do you see when I say the what, what do you see when I say the Easter Bunny? Oh gosh, probably a person dressed in like a mascot style, like fuzzy bunny costume. What color is the bunny? Uh, honestly, generally pink, or in white, or pink or white. Right, white yeah, pink. Elise thought the Easter Bunny was a brown bunny. It was like this big, like an actual bunny when she was. That's little. perfectly That's acceptable. Kid. That's perfectly acceptable. I'm not gonna. I. Th- no, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to oh, I'm not going to talk shit about it, in, on the podcast, it. But I'm saying that I, that is not what I think of when I think of the Easter Bunny. I think it's kind of funny. I, I mean, I think we we think of representations of the Easter Bunny, but ultimately it's because there's humans trying to take on the role of the Easter Bunny. It's an anthropomorph- the actual the, it's an anthropomorphized. The actual bunny. Easter Bunny is probably uh, just a just a very straightforward, you know, run of the mill hutch rabbit type thing uh, is a hutch rabbit, a rabbit hutch. A rabbit lives in a hutch. Um, I had no idea. That's cool. That's, that's that's good trivia. That's good trivia for you. Has anyone observed Easter Bunny's fucking? Is what I want to know. <laughs> if they're in the mascot suit, probably so there's got to be a furry uh, Easter Bunny. Yeah. Then if they live out west, they wear a bolo tie and they're jackalopes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jackalopes! Yeah. But that's the eel orgy uh, discussion that I have, and I think it's uh, fascinating and kind of hilarious. I think it's pretty amazing. You know what else is amazing? The Whores of Room 6? You bet. The Whores of Room 6 is a podcast with two single and childless women where they rehash crazy travel adventures, life whoopsie moments, and hear stories from fascinating characters. Listen in every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts for hilarious interviews, travel tips, and stories of the weird shit that happens when you take on the world with a say-yes-to-anything-but-heroin attitude. They may be a little behind in societal expectations, but they're killing it elsewhere. And please listen to their podcast right after you listen to ours. And it, it is not... You know, I would say it is not a trash or garbage product. But speaking of waste products... <laughs> <laughs> um, I came across this wet this bleh. I came across this Reddit question from R slash no stupid questions, a place on the internet where it is physically impossible to have a stupid question. Is it theoretically possible to have a stupid question there? Trick question. No, it's not. No, nope, nope, nope. No such thing. Nope. Skiva 
asks, do you consider <laughs> someone going through your trash an invasion of privacy? This sounds like Skiva is trying to defend some sort of action that a person named Skiva would definitely do. Oh, absolutely. Skiva Steva. Yeah, for sure. It is. It, it, it's um, he's he, this is someone who got caught and said, hey, man, it's invasion of privacy. And then they're going to Reddit to find to tr- try to look for a defense. I, honestly, I think they're on the wrong. They're on the wrong form. This isn't a this is not a no stupid questions. This is an am I the asshole? <laughs> <laughs> we need more information to determine that. But I think the question is, do you consider someone going through your trash an invasion of privacy? Do you Ryan? if in what circumstance would you consider that an invasion of privacy? Uh, I think it depends on where they're at in terms of the trash. Like if it's the state going through my trash, it's an invasion of privacy. If it's somebody going through like my paper trash or my kitchen trash, that might be an invasion of privacy. If it's somebody grabbing a piece of furniture that I put out for the for the trash, I have no issue with that. So if it's something that could be useful, like if I saw somebody picking through my recyclables in order to grab cans to take to like the exchange or something like that, not an invasion of privacy. Somebody I think the intent has to be to actually find out something about the person in the house. You're trying to investigate something, right. maybe investigate a claim like we do on our podcast. And we, we wade through the trash of the Internet every day. Right. So there you go. We're, ki- no, we're kind I, of trash pickers in our own right. I would say that does anyone need to see how many pints of Ben and Jerry's I eat? Right. Or like or I don't want them to find 50 Adam and Eve logos. Right. When they go through my trash. It's only an invasion of privacy if you have something to hide, which is a terrible argument that gets made yeah. a lot. Like if you don't have anything to hide, why are you worried about it? Libertarians would be super pissed to hear that. Well, I have freedom and I want to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It seems like there's there, there's a subsection of the libertarian community that is also wildly pro police state. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, so I mean, I have friends are libertarian, so I want to tread lightly on this. But I would say that um, libertarians, something that I've noticed is they they require government competency. And every time the government's not perfect, they oh, see, it's not perfect. And I'm like, libertarians are the only people who expect the government to be perfect and then criticize them when they're not. That's what I'll say about that. Yeah. But uh, once I put trash into the street, I think I concede any I cede control in that matter. If I leave something out in the corner, it's completely possible for someone to take it. Uh, if, if someone was in my apartment going through my trash, I would be freaked out. I would consider that an invasion of privacy. Absolutely. Because I have an I have an expectation that you're not going to go through my trash when you're in my apartment, I would say. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I went to D.C. recently and I visited Matt. So, Matt, I would like to apologize. Um, go through my trash. I did. I did go through your trash. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. So, sucks to be you, man. Sorry. Well, were you were, were you looking to find my dignity somewhere in there? Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, nowhere to be found. I, I, I yeah, it's where I yeah, it's where I threw it out the other day. The state took it. <laughs> no, yeah. Um. So interesting. The Supreme Court actually addressed this in 1988. Oh well, what did the I assume the Rehnquist Court have to say on the issue? Uh, California versus Greenwood in 1988, voting six to two. The court held that garbage placed on the curbside is unprotected by the Fourth Amendment. Right. Uh, The court argued that there was no reasonable expectation of privacy for trash on public streets. The court also noted that the police cannot be expected to ignore criminal activity that can be observed from any matter of the public in the same case. So if you have your windows open and you shoot someone in your home, if a cop can just look in your door and see it. You don't have that expectation of privacy. They can prosecute that crime, even though you do have an expectation of privacy in your home. But it has to do with how readily available you can see it. That's really what it's about. Well, that seems like an arbitrary distinction. It kind of does. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the little- I think it's your trash and your property until it gets taken away by the service. Like once you've 
Putting it out on the street is not a, hey, go through this type of thing. Putting it out on the street is making it available for a service that you pay money for to come take well, it away. And it's just not feasible for the, it doesn't make sense for that service to come up, knock on your door and collect your trash in person. The reason why the court ruled this way is because the Laguna Beach Police Department in 1984 learned from various sources that Billy Greenwood might be selling drugs outside of his home, right? And so uh, an investigator asked neighborhood's regular trash collector to pick up the plastic garbage that uh, Greenwood left on the curb in front of his house. Uh, in the garbage, she found evidence of drug use, right? So this is the state going to the trash collector and saying, hey, let us look through that shit. Did they have a warrant? The court, they don't need it because it's not protected by the Fourth Amendment. They do not need a warrant. In the United, in the United States, th th that is legal. I, and I understand what the court has said. However, I would count that as an unreasonable search and seizure. Well, you're the only one that matters that would say that. <laughs> I, I don't think that's reasonable. Like, you shouldn't have to police your fucking trash to keep the police no. from policing your fucking trash. I think it's reasonable because when you throw something away, you are discarding it. You are letting the world to see it when you put it on your corner. You do not have any expectation of privacy that the trash collector is not going to look through your look, shit. Look, my, 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 my trash bin is not clear. It's opaque for a reason because it's it's there yeah. to hide your trash. I had the same thing. And then yeah, I, okay, pay, but I pay a company to come take the trash away from my house. At no point does it say, hey, come take a look at what I got, you know? No, but what they're saying is... Um, you don't have to verbalize that because when you throw something away, you lose your expectation of privacy. What if I put a note on the outside of my trash that says not for police? No, no, I think I think I think the court I, I think I think police could totally look through your, your trash and in, 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 in any in almost any circumstance, they can look through your trash. It's a bit like the office fridge, like I've got. Like leftover Chinese food from last night that I brought into work with me and I put a little note on it that says this is this is Ryan's Mongolian beef. Sounds great. Which, again, I, I apologize to all of our listeners out there. I understand that Mongolian beef is from Mongolia. However, many Chinese restaurants do serve Mongolian beef as, as a nod to their neighbors. How about this, though? How about this? Would you be OK with any member of the public looking through trash, looking through someone's trash? If, if I walk across in a neighborhood, I see I think, a trash. Bin. I think if it's a, can I would you have a problem with me looking through? I it? think if you open the lid. Yes, I have an issue with it. If it's an open okay. bin, like a lot of times recycling bins are open. Like I said, if somebody came through and they were picking the cans out of my recycling bin in order to go trade in, I wouldn't care because clearly this person has a use for those cans. Um, I, I think I would prefer to be asked before somebody uh, picks uh, goes through my trash. But like I said, I am co I'm contracting a, a either a public or a private uh, service to take the refuse from my house and take it to an area where it can be properly disposed of. I think I, you should move to. I think that's interfering. I think that's interfering with a contract that I have in place. Do you, wait, you do not have a contract in place. You don't have offer and acceptance. You're, you're, you're assuming a contract. Uh, I, I, I definitely get a bill every month. for. Uh, well, actually, every three months for my trash service. But you but, but you but they don't they don't they don't agree to not look through your shit. You're assuming that it's something you bring. That's something you're bringing to the what, table. What you're, what you're, once it's once it's off my property and at their facility. Once they have done what they have said they're going to do with it, if if they want to go dump, like if the FBI or the ATF or any other organization that might be investigating me wants to investigate it, they need to go dig. Through, <laughs> they need to go dig through the big pile. But that, but that creates a chain of custody issue, which I will definitely bring up in court. Okay, so I think um, you should move to Oregon because in March of Excuse me. In May of 2019, the Oregon Supreme Court disagreed with more than 50 years of state case law 
uh, they, meant, they, they held that the police cannot rummage through your garbage without a warrant. So, you know. So I'm not, I'm not out I, on a limb here. The Oregon State yeah. Supreme Court agrees with me. Yeah, the Oregon State Supreme Court agreed with you. And at the same time, they're disagreeing with half a century of state case law. So, yeah, there's that. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I think this is interesting. I, I kind of was playing devil's advocate for a second there. I'm not sure how I would feel about it, if I'm being quite honest. But I totally understand where you're coming from. I totally understand where you're coming from. And I get where the state or I get where Oregon Supreme Court. Well, you're not the only person to play the devil's advocate in this episode. So I think. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I think it's I think it's kind of fascinating. It's a, it's an interesting question to be safe. If you're doing something illegal, just don't throw it away and put it on the corner. F- figure out a way to dispose of your illegal evidence. All right. Anybody listening to this episode of the podcast has heard a lot about tweets, Reddit stuff, eating ass, and picking through trash. For anybody picking through the trash of this episode, there is one little nugget of treasure hidden in this entire trash pit. And that's the music of Rick Reynolds. Thanks, Rick, for letting us use your song United from your album Portals in Progress. It's a great album. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. We are on there as well, but we're also at wreckyourpod at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, gripes, complaints, and claims for us to investigate. We're also Wreck Your Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So if you, like us, or find yourself picking through the internet's trash heap, and you stumble across something interesting that seems like it might be valuable enough to share with your friends and family on social media, and you don't have time to wait for our next episode, before you click it, make sure you check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart, and it won't change.